Welcome to Too Much Not Enough, a podcast about the obsessions of two very intense people. I'm Darius Kazani. I'm Emma Winston, and today we're going to talk to you about autobiographical work. Can we talk a little bit about what we mean by autobiographical work? It's an obsession of mine, I suppose, from like the perspective of a creator, I guess, rather than necessarily being like, I only listen to songs by musicians who produce autobiographical art. It's a thing that I think about a lot when I'm making stuff. And that I've ended up reading a bunch about and like writing songs about and it's in my head all the time. You've told me about how you write songs that are very personal and very confessional, but also filtered through metaphors. So what's the element of autobiography in your songwriting? There's a, there's a lot of autobiography in my songwriting. Like almost all of my songs are at least partly about me. And like most of them actually are entirely about me. But you can't always necessarily tell. This is not something that I... I do on purpose it's something that I've kind of noticed in retrospect and I've been asked about in interviews and stuff I have a tendency to write about things that in my head are kind of very confessional but I'll filter them through a really extended metaphor so like the one that is coming to mind right now is moon maps which was like maybe the second or third song that I ever wrote and it's it's essentially about being too depressed to leave the house, but it's filtered through a metaphor about space. And I don't know why I do that. I feel like it, it makes it less self-indulgent. I suppose creative work is always self-indulgent to a point. And autobiographical creative work is even more so. And I feel like by making people view it through the through a different lens it becomes cleverer somehow (laughs) and I feel like I have to be clever and I feel like autobiography is not always compatible with being clever. Well, and there's the whole gender component to it as well. Yeah, this is like a whole topic on my agenda to discuss because I think, I mean, there's a tendency, I think, for maybe the same material as produced by a man versus produced by a woman, the man is more likely to be seen as writing about broad, relatable life themes and the woman is more likely to be perceived as writing about personal stuff. I don't know if that's maybe something that's weighing on me when I'm thinking about it. It's apparently something that Joni Mitchell is very angry about. She considers the word confessional to be an insult, which I'm not sure if it is or not. What element of autobiography is in your work, do you think? Yeah, good question. I think it's easier to talk about autobiography when you're talking about narrative, and I include music in that Mm. sort of narrative genre. Most of what I make certainly does come from things that are in my personal life. I mean, I think that's true of everybody who makes things, even Mm -hmm. if you're making something incredibly abstract and non-figurative, the ideas have to come from somewhere. A lot of my bots are responses to things that I've seen or anger inside of myself at things like, oh, I've seen this meme format way too many times and I think it's played out. It's so rote that even a computer could do it. I'll show them. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Is there an example of that? I'm trying to think of one. Yeah. I mean, expanding brain bot is one. Most of my meme bots really are just expressions of my annoyance at a meme that I think is rote. I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was because the more times you repeat something, the funnier it gets. 
I mean, that's also true. Both of these things are in tension with one another. So sometimes I'll set out to, you know, that's destroy fair. a meme when I make a bot. And in the process of making it, I'll find out things that I like about the meme that I didn't know about before. The expanding brain bot is funny as hell. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think expanding brain bot is funny as hell. And that's the thing. I can say that about expanding brain bot because I don't make up any of the stuff that it makes. I think it's part of the reason why I never really talk about the book that I wrote. I mean, I'm proud of my book, but it feels weird to brag about it on social media, whereas I can brag about what my bots do. And because they're so independent of me, it's fine. It doesn't feel weird. How much of you does the book have in it? Not too much. Uh, the book is called Jagged Alliance 2, and it's through Boss Fight Books. And it's about how a particular game called Jagged Alliance 2 was created. So I interview some of the people who made the game, and I do some archaeology of the source code in order to find things out about the game. And there's an introductory chapter where I talk about my history with the game, mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's only about three pages long. Mm -hmm. So I so actually, my interest in this kind of bleeds into my interest in ethnography. And how much of yourself do you include when you're interviewing someone? Because I don't think it's possible or desirable to leave yourself out. I agree. Of, work that you're writing about somebody else but it still kind of seems like in the academic world at least people are obsessed with trying to get out of the way and in doing so I kind of feel like it gets in the way more which is almost a separate issue from art but but it's still autobiographical work I think mm, yeah you know as long as you disclose how much of yourself is getting in the way Ooh. I don't know how good anyone is at gauging how much they get in the way. I don't think anyone can really do it, but I think you should take a fair shot at it. So like with mm. my book, I took pains to establish that everything that I'm doing, I'm doing as a fan of the game. Also, when I was doing interviews, it was what helped me get good answers out of people. Yeah. Especially with the, uh, the main creative director for the game, uh, the fact that I was an enthusiastic person who sort of understood the spirit of the project and what he was trying to do with the game originally mm -hmm. really helped him kind of come out of his shell and probably answer some questions for me that he would not have mm -hmm. answered otherwise, or at least not answered as in a forthright way. So how much Darius is there in the final interview material that made it into the book? I mean, there's still plenty of me in the book because I'm the one setting the topic of conversation. So, for example, I'm sitting there asking specific questions about algorithms used for the artificial intelligence in the game. And I don't think another author might have asked those questions. And I suppose this is, yeah, this is where it gets really interesting for me, I think, because even, even the medium that you're using says something about you, I think. Right. And a medium of creation and how I interface with the thing that allows me to make the stuff is really important to me and really central to kind of how I create. Like a lot of my album was written in the park at the end of my road near my house. And therefore it's written on things that are kind of small and portable and it sounds different from how it would have if I'd been sort of sat at a massive desktop rig doing everything in like software instruments. Although I could equally have taken my laptop to the park. and But like it sounds different from how it would have done if I'd been in a different place. Right. And if I was a different person. And like, I guess if you're making visual art, like the media that you use is is kind of visibly a marker of of when you're producing stuff and the, the resources that you have available to you. And there's things that you don't necessarily even think about that are revealed to 
interested parties just by virtue of the fact that you're even making the thing. You uh, you just reminded me of something, which was I was at the Portland Art Museum recently, and they have a whole floor of indigenous art. And I discovered uh, something while I was there, which was there's an entire genre of, of indigenous art that is uh, drawings and other forms of visual art done on government bureaucratic ledgers. It's actually known as ledger art because that's what they had on hand, especially in the like 1870s when, when displacement was rampant. Oh, wow. And so while the art itself might have been about heroic deeds done by warriors sort of in the process of being displaced, it's also all performed on this canvas of these bureaucratic ledgers that were a part of this system that was displacing these people and also a record of how these people looked in the eyes of the system itself. Yeah, so I suppose there's there's always kind of a, a dual layer of things that you intended to write into the work and things that are in the work by accident, yeah. essentially. Yes. But that are still there for anyone looking for them. There's a real reticence, I think, to view autoethnography as... So autoethnography, I should explain, is where you treat your own experiences doing your research as part of the research data and some people do autoethnographic projects that are completely focused on themselves and some people kind of include autoethnographic elements in work that they're doing that's not primarily focused on themselves and like my thesis is fairly conventional ethnography but it contains a lot of autoethnographic elements essentially because I don't know how to leave them out I don't think I can avoid it but a lot of people disagree with me and think that if you're including yourself in your own research it's automatically less objective and the integrity of your work is compromised by including yourself in it and they may be correct that it's automatically less objective but the integrity part is where I'd start to argue a bit I disagree that it's less objective i think yeah. if you are i it, you are the person writing the research you are the lens through which the research is filtered that's true regardless of what kind of work you're doing if you're trying to get out of the way in the final product then you are behaving as if you're not the lens through which everything is filtered which right. i find incredibly strange right yeah i don't think it's possible to write yourself out of your own research but that's a fairly unpopular view i think even even amongst autoethnographers and i'm thinking particularly of carolyn ellis who's kind of like the mother of autoethnography and even she has talked a fair bit about kind of the separation i suppose between conventional ethnography in scare quotes and autoethnography and her own work is kind of very very narrative and it's almost like reading a novel and for me, where it gets interesting is where the lines are kind of blurred between conventional research and including yourself in the conventional research as a way of being more objective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which is a thing I think about all the time, and I have no idea how to resolve it. Right. I don't think I'm doing narrative in like a traditional linear sense when it comes to autobiography, but in terms of like this broader kind of narrative where it's about lenses and that sort of thing... Absolutely. My bots definitely speak in my voice, or at least in like a corrupted version of my voice. I watched a talk. I can't remember which talk it was. It's the one about soul that you did. Right. My uh, IO 2016 talk. In which you say something like you try not to have bots say anything that you wouldn't say yourself, which I thought was really interesting. 
Yeah. That, so they kind of are always kind of acting as mouthpieces for you to some extent. That's an ethical stance more than anything. Somebody needs to be able to own and take responsibility for what my bots say. That has to be me. So I really have to stand behind everything that my bots say. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about ethics in terms of, I mean, both in my research and in my kind of creative musical work, I think a lot about what can I do to present, I suppose, both my story and other people's stories in an ethical way. And mm -hmm. it's something that I maybe obsess over slightly too much. Like I definitely think about it more in songs than I think most people do. And I kind of have like internal rules with myself as to... Like, I kind of hold myself to the same ethical standards in songwriting as I do in research, which is that I can present myself however I want, but when it starts to impact on other people, if the person is identifiable, I feel like I have to get explicit consent from them. And sometimes even if they're not identifiable. I mean, how did this work, like, in your book? Because I, th I feel like especially if you're kind of, if you're writing yourself out of the narrative a little bit, you have to be quite careful about how you present other people. It was pretty cut and dry for the most part. Everybody consented in written form to be in the book. And then I ran all of the quotes that I was going to use by them. And then I also gave them excerpts of the text from the book to read whenever I cited them. And it was definitely a consent informed exercise, I did have to have some rather emotional conversations with the interviewees where maybe they would say, oh, well, that thing I said was true, but I don't know if I actually want to say that about that person now that I'm thinking about it. And so I had to really like do that emotional labor with them. And I suppose, I guess maybe one of the reasons that I lean a bit towards like more confessional personal writing is that I don't have to think about that stuff, which... Involves less interpersonal interaction, which isn't really a very good reason to do it. But there's, uh, there was a, a T.S. Eliot quote that I was reading earlier, which refers to the progress of an artist as a continual extinction of personality, which is the opposite of what I'm doing. Yeah, I read that quote and I was like, I do not agree with that. And you don't even make confessional work. Nope. There's a weird kind of... I don't know why you would want to be objective in art. Anyway. Yeah. Because I... Yeah, I started thinking much more about this stuff um, after I read the book I Love Dick by Chris Krause, which is kind of... And I don't even really know how to talk about it without falling into the exact traps that she talks about people falling into when they talk about it in the book. It's kind of autobiographical, but it's also fictionalised. It's written in, I think, in the third person, but it's partly written in letters, which are written in the first person. Okay. So it's kind of skipping between. And the main character has the same name as the author, and the plot is her essentially stalking a guy who she sort of falls in love with, but she maybe didn't actually stalk the guy in real life. And I'm confused as to whether she did or whether she didn't, but also that's kind of not really the point. And there's a kind of undercurrent all the way through the book of discussion of women's art and perception of women's art as confessional and women making art that's confessional because their work can never be seen as universal anyway. And I don't know if that's still true, but there are definitely 
there were elements of it that really stuck with me. There is this well-known phenomenon with creators who belong to different kinds of marginalized groups where one of the main ways that you can get published is if you make work that is very specific to the details of your own experience of oppression. So like if you're a, a woman, you can only get published writing women's fiction. And if you're queer, then it's only going to be queer fiction and that sort of thing. Uh, I actually have a friend who's an African-American woman and uh, she is always like, I'd like to just write sci-fi, just regular old sci-fi and not have it be with race front and center. You know, everything that she writes is going to be through that lens in some sense or another, but it's not like all her books need to be set in Detroit in the 1960s or something. Yeah, I kind of assume that that comes down to like the idea of Markness, like the idea that there is a default experience and it's the experience of a straight, white, cis, middle to upper class guy. And if you don't fall into that category, then your work can never be universally relatable and you will always kind of be presented as other. And maybe that's how everything ends up getting put into the kind of personal box because if something is personal, then it's not universally relatable. Well, and of course, there's so much work made by sort of upper middle class white guys that made by anybody else would just be shoehorned into the confessional category. But, you know, it isn't. Just take like one of your favorite bands, the Postal Service, right? Like, <laughs> like, can you imagine how they would get categorized if a woman were writing those songs? They wouldn't be about a universal experience anymore. Yeah. Who's the musical everyman? Who's the artistic everyman? I don't know. I've no idea. Who does get described as confessional? What men get described as confessional? Frank Ocean? Oh, yeah. Yes. But also that was only after he publicly discussed being queer. And became marked. <laughs> right, he, he's marked. He ends up marked and it's like, okay, now you're queer. You're making queer music. So basically, it's a mess. It's a mess. Yep. So I ended up, I, I wrote a song after reading I Love Dick, which is autobiographical, but it is a very like reductive kind of glossed over version of what actually happened and kind of alludes to itself as being reductive and glossed over what actually happened towards the end of the song. And I I suppose that was me kind of trying to, to grapple with the idea that something can be both autobiographical and not autobiographical at the same time. And again, more easily expressed through a song than through language. Yeah, I, uh, I have the good fortune of knowing a lot of creative people and I do have that experience of maybe I'll watch a talk by one of them or listen to something they've made and I will think to myself, oh yeah, I see that from their personal life and that and that in there and oh, I literally said this thing to them once and now they're using it in this work. But also I'm, I'm sometimes shocked at how unmetaphorical everything is. So as a reader of work by strangers, I'm often assuming that everything is metaphor and then it turns out if I look into it further that it's it's really just kind of plainly put I mean that's what I always fear people are doing with my songs <laughs> which is a, a weird thing because I I mean I am I'm writing confessional songs I'm thinking all the time about autobiography in my work but when I actually release something I'm like oh god is are people going to know 
who this is about? I think a lot about autobiography and hip hop and uh, especially Kanye West. And, you know, you get a guy like Kanye where, um, you know, he'll release an album and he'll say, you know, this is, I'm, I'm speaking as this character, as Yeezy, and Yeezy's misogynistic and a bad partner and all these other things, but that's not me, that's not Kanye West. And yet people listen to his albums and they go, oh, well, that's Kanye. And he's still, he's still releasing it under his real name and communicating it in the first person. Right. But, uh, you know, he's also not a white man. So there's that aspect to it, too. I think there's also this thing that happens yeah. in, in hip hop and probably other areas where you tell yourself that you're playing a character, mm. but you're not actually entirely certain how much of yourself is really going into this. Which is kind of what happens in ethnographic research, I think, as well. <laughs> yeah. You're telling yourself that you are somehow a kind of disembodied, like, voice rather than a human who's kind of in it and interacting with the people that you're presenting as actual people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean how much how much processing is Kanye West doing through his characters? Well, and I guess what this kind of comes down to is autobiography is just a description of the self, but how much do we know ourselves? I mean, how much of how much of what we perceive as a self is constructed through the work that we do anyway? Right. For me it's a lot. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about Nature's Mirror. This has been Too Much Not Enough. I'm Emma Winston, aka Deer underscore Full. Deer like the animal underscore F-U-L or EmmaWinston.me. And I'm Darius Kazemi, aka Tiny Subversions or tinysubversions.com.